Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. We'll be reading from Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. These are the words of God. Psalm 78, a contemplation of Asaph. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, telling, them, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded to our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments." And may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright, and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Would you pray with me? Father, Heavenly Father, Almighty God, thank you that we can come into your presence this morning. As we come before your word, open our eyes and our ears. Grant us believing hearts that we might know you better and know how you would have us live. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. It has become customary at Trinity Church for many years, this time of year, to take a, a Sunday and give a sermon on Christian education. Our church this year will celebrate its 30th, and ha- had ce- has celebrated its 30th anniversary, a uh, reminder about our picnic next week to celebrate that, 30 years for Trinity Church. And one of the distinctives of this local body of believers since very early on, since the early stages of our church, has been the necessity of Christian education for our children. Not just that Christian education is a good idea, but that Christian education, distinctly Christian teaching for our children, is necessary. Education is inherently religious. All education is inherently religious because all education really comes down to two fundamental questions. Why and who says? Why does the world work the way that it does? And who says that it works that way? Who gets to decide that it works the way that it does? Is, does the world run according to blind chance and time acting on matter? Does the world run according to the whims of capricious uh, superhuman Norse gods of mythology? Or does the world run according to the plan and purpose of the triune, holy, almighty God revealed in Scripture? All education is religious because all education appeals in the end to some ultimate standard. And so any education that does not declare that Jesus Christ is Lord of all is idolatrous. Any education that does not declare Jesus as Lord is idolatrous. This does not mean that other forms of education are wrong about everything. Other forms of education do get, can and do get things right because of God's common grace And we can, as Christians, we can learn some things from false systems of education. It's not as though all education uh, that is not subjected to the Lordship of Jesus Christ teaches us nothing. We can learn from it. It can get some things right. But this is because of God's grace, not because the education itself is good. In order to plunder the Egyptians, you need to leave Egypt. In order to plunder the the wealth of knowledge from idolatrous systems of education, 
you really need to get out of those idolatrous systems. And this is something that our church has embraced for many years. Building, encouraging, providing for, praying for, supporting explicitly Christian education among our people in many different ways. Many methods, many institutions, whether it's a brick and mortar school like Providence or Summit or homeschool co-ops like Classical Conversations or other homeschool organizations homeschool in in actual homes, all of it, we support, promote, encourage, provide for it because we really believe that it is necessary from a distinctly Christian worldview. This is something that we have done and continue to do. And so our challenge now as a church, as a local community of believers, is to continue to trust God and not in ourselves. To remember what God has done for us and to press on further up and further in as we seek to obey God in this work. If you look with me at Psalm 78, which we just read, look at verse 7. This is, I th- this is sort of the, the thesis or structure of the sermon this morning. This is the purpose that is laid out, that the psalmist lays out for why education, why, and by education I mean the, the passing on of the knowledge of God to the next generation, why it's necessary. This is the purpose, verse 7, that they, the children to come, may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So I'm going to take time and and look at each of those three things that the psalmist lays out in verse 7. But before we do that, let's do a bit of an overview of the text from Psalm 78. Psalm 78 is a psalm recounting God's acts for Israel, his deeds and deliverances over Israel from the time of Moses to the reign of David. I would encourage you this week to read through Psalm 78. It's a wonderful history of the things that God has had done for Israel. It includes many of the um, uh, well-known events that you're familiar with from Scripture, like the Exodus, the ten plagues, uh, the wilderness wanderings, but it also includes many of Israel's responses to God's deliverances and how often they, instead of um, growing in their faith and pursuing God, they complained. They did not remember what he had done. This comes up over and over in the psalm. Verses 1 through 8, which I read uh, to to open the sermon, are part of the introduction and apologetic for this psalm. And in this introduction, this apologetic for the psalm, the reason for why he's giving the psalm, the psalmist notes the necessity of teaching coming generations about the Lord. He notes, why, he notes that this is necessary to teach coming generations. And what's interesting about this psalm is he mentions four generations. Look, look at this with me. We'll go through the, the psalm verse by verse in just a moment, but, but first look at verse 5. The Lord established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded to our fathers. And so the the psalmist is saying, God commanded this to our fathers, our forefathers, that they should make them known to their children. That the generation to come, that'd be those children, might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children. Right? So our fathers... He taught to our fathers. He taught to their children. Maybe that's us. And, they, and so that we might pass it on to the generation that would be born so that they may teach it to the generation to come. Four generations of passing this knowledge of the Lord on. And so the psalmist begins, he opens his psalm with a prophetic summons. He says, give ear, O my people, to my law. 
And you might read that and think at first that this is the Lord speaking, because the Lord is usually the one who declares, listen, hear, O Israel, listen to my law. But no, this is not the Lord himself directly speaking. He's speaking through the psalmist. The psalmist is saying, listen to my law like a prophet would say it. And he calls for the people to give heed to his words. He says that he will tell them things of old. He says he'll tell them things that have been passed down from their fathers. And he's going to give it to them in parables and dark sayings. Uh, This does not mean that the things that he is saying are hard to understand or ambiguous or uh, confusing, but rather that they are things that need to be meditated on, things that need to be carefully considered, things that need to be taken taken into account. Um, Jesus, uh, this verse in Psalm 78 is quoted by Matthew in speaking about Jesus when Jesus is speaking in parables. Um, And Jesus would go and explain the parables to his disciples, but he spoke in parables in order to confuse unbelieving hearts. Uh, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that spiritual things are spiritually discerned. So those that have the Spirit, for those who have the Spirit and are able to discern spiritual things, parables and dark sayings are not ambiguous or confusing, but they do take careful meditation. So this, this is verses 2 and 3 then. He's going to deliver them these things that were told from old, things passed on by the fathers. They're things to be meditated on. And the generation that the psalmist addresses, this is verse 4, should together pass on to the descendants of their fathers these praises of the Lord and the accounts of his wonderful works. And they should do this because in verse 5, as he says in verse 5, this is what God has commanded. One of God's commands is that you teach your children. This comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, when God says to Israel, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And you should teach these things to your children. This is part of God's command. And it's, I think it's fascinating that God lists the instruction, the command to teach these things to your children right after what Jesus says is the first and greatest commandment. First and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God. And right after that, the Lord says, and you need to teach this to your children. This is what God has commanded. So then verse 6, the purpose of this commandment, the psalmist tells us, is so that the children would know God and his works and continue to pass them on to yet another generation. And then that generation in turn Verse 7, would trust God, not forget what he has done, and keep his commandments. That's the end goal of all of our education, of all of our training. That our descendants, that our children would trust God, that they would remember what he has done, that they would keep his commandments. And the order here, I think, is instructive for us. Trust, faith in God, placing our hope in God, is followed by remembrance. Trust, so the the purpose for teaching your children, the psalmist says, is so that they would trust God and remember what he has done. Trust is followed by remembrance and that remembrance is what gives strength for obedience. Trust God, remember what he has done and and that's the, the fuel that God has given you so that then you can keep his commandments, so that you can obey him. In this way, they will keep faith, verse 8, and not fall away like previous generations who were rebellious. 
The psalmist emphasizes, as I've mentioned already, that the purpose of instructing the next generation is to guide them in faithfulness to the one true God and keep them from falling away. And so the three pieces of that faithfulness that he mentions in verse 7 are worth considering in our pursuit of Christian education. These three things, to trust God, to remember what he has done, and to keep his commandments, are important for us to think about in terms of the goal of our education and the means by which we accomplish it. The goal of our education and the means by which we accomplish it both I think are summarized and described by those three things. Trust God, remember what he has done, keep his commandments. So let's talk about these things individually. Everything we do in our pursuit of Christian education must be done by faith. Uh, Education is busy, busy work. Whether you are a teacher at a school, whether you are a a mom homeschooling your children, whether you are a father overseeing the education of your children at home or at school, whether you are an aide helping out teachers, whether you are students busy doing homework, whatever your role is in education, it is busy. It is hard work. And all of our hurry and our worry and desire, particularly to give our children the best, we must remember that whatever is not from faith is sin. Paul says in Romans 14, whatever is not from faith is sin. So all of your busy work getting ready for the school year, all of your busy work once the school year gets going, all of your busyness in your homework, all of the busyness in supporting other families that are doing Christian education, all of your busyness in all of these things, if it is not from faith, it is sin. It's not just that it's, uh, uh, that, that it's ineffective if it's not from faith. Paul says what is not from faith is sin. It is sin to you. We should pursue and discuss and debate the best method of education. We should pursue and discuss and debate the best curriculum that we could choose. We should um, discuss and debate the best model for education. But all this pursuit leads to at least two dangers. And the first is that it is tempting to think that getting these things right, getting the right model, uh, getting the right curriculum will save our children or save ourselves, to to feel our ultimate value is in the way in which we educate our children, the the way in which we get things right. There's a temptation to think that we save our children or ourselves by getting it right. And the second temptation, the second danger is that it is tempting in the pursuit of the best to forget the unity that we have in Christ. We have for many, many years welcomed, encouraged, provided for, supported a variety of forms of education, a variety of models of education. And we stand by that as a church. There, are, there, there is a best method for you and your family, and it might be a different method than the family sitting next to you. And that's a glorious, that's a glorious part of the diversity of the body of Christ. We want to support one another in those differences. We want to support one another in the, in the pursuit of uh, Christian education in different models for the families in our church. And we want to do it this way because we remember the unity that we have in Christ. It is easy to divide over methods and to become, uh, to become divisive about methods. We need to remember the unity that we have on the principle. The principle is... 
we want to pursue a Christian education submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If we agree on that, we can have discussion, debate, disagreement on the method, but we can do so without dividing over it. If Christ is the center, we can have different and varying models or curricula. And we should celebrate the variety of opportunities that God has blessed us with while also being willing to discuss the benefits and shortcomings of each. There are benefits and shortcomings to every model of education. We should celebrate the benefits, we should discuss the shortcomings, and we should do it all under, with, with the, the uh, reminder that Christ is the center of it all. And Christ must be the center of all of our teaching and our doing. The best curriculum, the best schooling method done without faith simply equips a faithless generation. you You could have the best education model. You could have the best curriculum that was ever made. And if it is taught and delivered and given apart from faith, all you are doing is equipping your children for the other side. You're giving them tools, you're giving them weapons, you're giving them uh, intelligence, and you're doing so equipping them for the other team. It must be done with faith. It must be done with Christ as the center. Uh, to paraphrase or borrow from Vodi Bakum, if we have recognized that handing our children over to Rome turns them into Romans, then we should not settle for turning them into Romans ourselves. If, if in God's kindness, we've realized we don't want to hand our children over to Caesar, we don't want to hand our children over to the state to educate them, because that would turn them into little state minions. No, we want to educate them, take responsibility for their education ourselves, grow them up, train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But, but that has to be the center. Paul says in Ephesians 6, to fathers particularly, the, the instruction to train your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But it has to be the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It has to be submitted to the Lordship of Christ. If it's not, you're turning them into Romans in your own home. So it must be the nurture and admonition of the Lord and nothing short of that. The teaching generation must teach in faith for the purpose of fostering faith in the receiving generation. And again, this doesn't mean that we are not allowed to use anything that is developed outside of the church. That, that's, not, that's not the point. But is it submitted? Are you submitted, submitting it in your teaching? Are you, are you turning your children to Christ by means of that curriculum, by means of that method, by means of that program? Christ must be the center. And it must be done in faith, and it must be done for the purpose of cultivating faith. So that's the first point. Trust God. Remember, the point of our education and the means of our education, of accomplishing this education, is by trusting in God. The goal is that they would trust in God. The second phrase in verse 7, that they would not forget the works of God. Just before Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land, Moses warned them not to forget the Lord and what he had done. Let's look at this together. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Again, Deuteronomy 6 is where the Lord gives the 
the Shema, the hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, the first and greatest commandment. Verse 7, he gives them the instruction to diligently teach their children. But look at, down at verse 10 through 12. This is what Moses says. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. The instruction given that, that Moses gives to Israel right before they go into the land of Canaan is to be careful that when they receive the blessing, when they receive the inheritance of the land of Canaan, that they do not forget the Lord their God. They would, that they do not forget that he was the one who brought them out of slavery in Egypt. Man becomes faithless when he forgets God's faithfulness. Man becomes faithless and forgetful. Or man becomes faithless when he is forgetful of God's faithfulness. We should regularly remember and tell what God has done for us as individuals and as communities. This is a particular instruction for, I think, the older generation at our church. Many of you are first-generation Christians, or at least first-generation in terms of thinking about distinctively Christian education. And you are the ones who built homeschool curricula, who built schools, who built programs, who have established that culture in this community. The generations following you need to hear stories of God's deliverance, of saving grace, individually and culturally and communally, of provision through trial and lack, of unexpected success, of sustenance through failure and more. We need to hear from you those stories because we need to not forget what God has done. And you need to not forget what God has done. So these stories need to be told and recounted again and again and again. We should regularly and outspokenly celebrate and give thanks for what God has done. And those stories of God's faithfulness need to be passed on because that is great fuel. Those stories of what God has done is fuel for the generation to come. It's fuel for faithfulness for present and future generations. Roughly speaking, my generation is like the generation that inherited the land of Canaan. My generation, roughly speaking, roughly speaking in our community, was, was, uh, didn't grow up in Egypt. We didn't grow up in the government schools, and thank the Lord for that. But our parents and our grandparents did. Our parents and our grandparents were in the land of Egypt. And God delivered them out by his grace and his mercy. And so we have inherited the blessing of a Christ-centered education. So I want to speak more directly to the, the second generation roughly represented here, my generation. There are two temptations that come with this inheritance. These are temptations to be presumptuous and to be overly critical. We can be tempted... My generation particularly can be tempted to think that our education and our Christian upbringing was normal. We can be tempted to think that it was normal, that it's normal to grow up in Christian homes that teach the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
We can be tempted to take it for granted. We can, t- we can think that it was deserved, that it's something that was owed to us. And that is, that is, a, that is a dangerous place to be. That is like Israel going into the land of Canaan and inheriting all of these houses they didn't build, wells they didn't dig, vineyards they didn't plant, and forgetting that it was God who delivered their parents out of the land of Egypt and gave them all of this. The other temptation is to be overly critical. I hate to break it to you, but you had an imperfect Christian education. Your education was not perfect. There were lots of problems with it. Uh, those of you who are students, at, uh, in, uh, in K through 12 especially, your education is not perfect. There are lots of problems with it. There's a temptation to harp on the imperfection of our Christian education. There's a temptation to zero in on the problems, forgetting the, the huge blessings that it is. Forgetting that you're not growing up in the land of Egypt as a slave. We fight both of these temptations to be presumptuous and to be overly critical by giving thanks. My generation, in terms of thinking about Christian education, my generation ought to be overly thankful. We ought to be so thankful that you can smell it because of what God has given to us through our parents. We fight these temptations by giving thanks for the education and remembering from where God has brought us this is, I think this is really striking. Look, if you're still in Deuteronomy 6, look down at verse 20. Moses says, When your son asks you in the time to come, saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Why are we Christians? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe, against Egypt and Pharaoh and his household. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore to our fathers. We have to remember the history of Israel at this point. When Moses brought Israel out of Egypt, they come to the border of Canaan, They refuse to go into the land of Canaan, like we were reminded in the call to worship this morning. Twelve spies go in. Ten say, we can't do it. The giants are too big. Joshua and Caleb say, no, we should take it. The people listen to the ten spies who said, we can't go in. And God sends Israel then in, in discipline into the wilderness for 40 years until that generation dies. Now we come to Deuteronomy at the edge of Canaan again. And Moses is saying to to these people, when your children ask you why you believe the things that you believe, why you do the things that you do, you should tell them that God brought you out of the land of Egypt. The problem is most of the people he's talking to weren't in the land of Egypt, or at least many of them weren't. Many of them were born and grew up in the wilderness. They didn't live as slaves in Egypt. But it's appropriate for them to say, we were brought from the land of Egypt. We were delivered out of slavery and out of bondage because our parents were. God was merciful to us and brought us out because of what he had done to our parents. And so to my generation, we fight these temptations to be presumptuous and to be critical 
by giving thanks and remembering where God has brought us from, that he has delivered us from slavery. And the same is true, the same is true for the children in the current wave of Christian education. All of you students, raise your hand if, you're, if you are a student here in school or you're about to start school. Raise your hand. You're about to start school in the next couple weeks. Okay, all of you students, this is true for you as well. Your temptation is going to be to think that you deserve the education that you are getting. And to think that because it's not perfect, you should complain about it. It is hard work. This is going to be a hard school year, and it doesn't really matter what grade you're in, what level you're at. It's going to be hard. And it is a blessing. It is a blessing to you to work hard and, and to work in an environment that celebrates the lordship of Jesus Christ. Because otherwise, you would be a slave. You would be a slave to institutions and to ideologies that teach that there is no God. That there is no salvation in Christ. Instead, your parents are giving you an education that says Jesus is Lord. And you should thank them for that. If we do this, if we all do this, if we all give thanks for what God has done and from where he has brought us, then we are positioned well, and again, particularly to my generation, then we are ready to improve upon what our parents have done. There is much improvement that needs to be done. We need to build and continue to build and make it better. But it has to be done from a position of thankfulness and gratitude for God's grace to us. What will destroy the Christian education movement in our, in our country? The number one thing that will destroy this movement is neglecting to give thanks for the abundant inheritance that God has given us. One other passage from Deuteronomy. I'll just read this to you. Deuteronomy 28. Right in the middle of the chapter. God says that if the Israelites, as they go into the land of Canaan, if they disobey him and they turn away from him, he lists all of these judgments that are going to come upon them. He's going to bring upon them the plagues that were in Egypt. He's going to let their enemies overpower them. And he gives a particular reason for why this would happen to them. Verse 47. All these judgments will come upon you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart for all the abundance of everything. What destroyed Israel, what destroyed Israel, why the, the reason the temple was destroyed, the reason they were taken into captivity was fundamentally because they did not serve the Lord, they did not worship the Lord with joy and gladness and thankfulness for the blessings that he gave them. What will destroy the Christian education movement in our day? The same neglect of giving thanks. So I mean this very seriously. Let's be a thankful people. Thankful to God for what he has done. And again, the, the way, part of how we can be thankful is by hearing and telling and retelling the stories of what God has done. Do not forget. Thirdly, 
The psalmist tells us that the generation to come, this, this passing on of the knowledge of the Lord is given to the next generation so that they would keep his commandments. This is the goal of teaching the next generation, that they would keep by faith God's commandments themselves. Christian parents desire and yearn to see their children follow in the footsteps of Jesus, follow after God, walk with God, know God, obey his commandments themselves. All that needs to happen for a generation to fall away from following God is nothing. All that has to happen for a generation to to leave God, to walk away from the Lord, is nothing. When nothing happens, it's like a garden. What do you have to do in order for a garden to become a wilderness? Nothing. If you do nothing, the garden is overtaken. It is the same for us and our culture and our communities and our children and our education. Instead, therefore, we should not grow weary in our obedience by teaching the next generation to obey. Again, when we think, if we take these three things, trust God, do not forget what he has done, keep his commandments. We think of this both as what we are passing on to our children, the goal of our education, but also the means by which we accomplish this. We need to accomplish this by trusting God, by remembering what he has done, and by keeping his commandments. And one of those commands to keep is to teach our children. One of the commands to teach, or commands to obey, is to give our children what God has given to us. This work is hard. And it seems endless. And really, humanly speaking, it is endless. You will be teaching, and teaching, and teaching, and teaching until the day you die. And, and this is true, this is true, whether you are a teacher or not. This is true, whether you are a parent or not. If you are in community, you will be teaching by your presence until the day you die. This work really is endless, and it is hard. So what do we do? Our task is to model for the children that we teach what it looks like to obey when obedience seems hard, when obedience seems endless. Because one day, they will need to take up the torch. We are teaching them to be teachers of the next generation. Model for them what that looks like. When faced with this endless work, what do we do? Well, we we do what the psalmist says to do. We need to remember We need to remember that God's grace is endless. And actually, his grace is far more endless, far more infinite. I know that doesn't make sense, but it's real. Far more infinite than the the endless work. His grace far surpasses your lack. And that is the grace that we are training our children to see. So model that for them in the midst of the work. One side note before, before we conclude this. These three things, trust God, remember what he has done, and keep his commandments. This is true when we're thinking about passing on the knowledge of the Lord to the next generation. It's true when we're talking about education. But it's also really just true in your day-to-day life. 
in your day-to-day battle with your sins and your temptations and your shortcomings, in your day-to-day battle with your tired body, your sickness, your trials. Trust God. Place your hope in him. Because if you place your hope anywhere else, it ends up being hopeless. There is no hope in anything other than God himself, the infinite, almighty, creator God. Place your hope in him. Place your hope in his son that he sent to die for you, to deliver you from slavery to sin. Place your hope in him. And having done so, then remember what he has done. When you are faced with a temptation again, when you stumble again, remember, God has delivered me time and time and time again. God has delivered my parents time and time again. God has provided for my friends and my family in in uncountable ways. Remember that. And remembering that then fuels you to do the next thing, to keep his commandments, to walk in obedience by faith. It doesn't feel like I can make it. It doesn't feel like I can do this again. It doesn't, it feels like there are not enough hours in this week. It feels like there's not enough money to make it to the end of the month. It feels like I don't have the strength to deal with the the craziness of my household and my children one more day. It does, I don't have, I don't have what it takes to deal with my spouse for another 10 minutes. Whatever it is, stop, trust God. Remember what he has done. Did he die on the cross for your sins? He's paid the ultimate price. You think he'll help you with this small trial? You think he'll help you with this large trial? Trust God, remember what he has done, and then walk in obedience. Keep his commandments. As a community, we are roughly one generation into this project of reviving and giving a distinctly Christ-centered education for our children. Roughly speaking, we're coming up to the end of one generation in on this. Jesus told his church to disciple the nations, and this, what we are doing by encouraging, promoting, providing for Christian education, is a significant part of discipling the nations. In the midst of the hard work and the trials before us, let us not forget what God has already done. Let's remember it. Let's tell the stories. Let's remind one another. Let's trust him, remembering what he has done. Let us also not forget to pray for the faithfulness of our children, for the faithfulness of our children's children, and for God's faithfulness to them, to a thousand generations. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, you have given us so much. And today we particularly thank you for all that you have given to and done for us, particularly in in this realm of Christian education for our children. We are so grateful. Help us to not grow weary in this work. Remind us to trust you in it. Grant us faithfulness to follow you and keep your commandments, passing these, these things on to the next generation. Teach us to remember your grace through all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and turn in your cantus?